Welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast with Jacob Ayers, providing actionable content to help you along your journey to financial freedom through real estate investing. As the premier asset class, real estate has helped ordinary people just like you amass fortunes. The benefits of passive income from real estate investing will allow you to live a life you want. And now your host, entrepreneur, real estate investor, and apartment deal syndicator, Jacob Ayers. Hi, and welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, episode 403. Hey, welcome back. I'm your host, Jacob Ayers. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode. I'm so glad you're here. This week's guest is a really cool real estate investor. His name is Marcin Drozd. Marcin is an investor and has been investing since 2006 and has sourced nine figures in private capital that has helped to him acquire 1,500 units across the Southeast. He's the managing partner of M1 Real Capital, where he and his team focus on acquiring multifamily value-add properties. When he's not on the lookout for opportunities, Marcin is teaching up-and-coming real estate investors how to raise capital and scale their real estate business. That's exactly what we're going to be discussing today on the podcast. Now, a little bit before we jump into this conversation, I'm recording this after the interview. Marcin and I are both coming to you from uh, remote, temporary locations, and we had a little bit of internet connectivity issues, so you might recognize some of that in the show. Our show editor, Honey Zell, has worked hard in the background to try to make this episode sound great, but there are a couple clips where there might be some lags uh, due to that connectivity issue. So bear with us there, but yeah, it's going to be a great conversation. So today I'm excited to welcome on the show, Marson. Hey, Marson, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, sir. Really appreciate the opportunity. Happy to be with you. 403 episodes. That's crazy. Well done. Thank you very much. We've been at it for a long time and we couldn't do it without great guests like yourself. So thanks so much for your time this morning. That takes a lot of dedication to your audience to be able to crank out that many podcasts. Well done, sir. Thank you very much. When I first got started with this thing, I thought, hey, passive everything. And uh, hosting a podcast is not passive, as you know. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, Marcin, tell us a little bit about who you are, your background, kind of your involvement in the real estate world and how you got started. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah I got started like so many people. I got turned on to real estate. I read Rich Dad Poor Dad when I was, I think, 16 years old or whatever it was. And I'm like, this is brilliant. I can do this, right? And then, you know, obviously it's a little bit more work than the book makes it sound. But, you know, I started buying uh, houses in my uh, early 20s. I was looking at stuff in my late teens. Actually, my first gig in real estate was I convinced a realtor to let me carry their for sale signs just to be able to get in the office because I had no business being there. I'm a, you know, snotty nosed 17, 18 year old punk and, you know, <laughs> Like what value am I going to possibly add, right? So yeah. I did what I could do and I, you know, carried the for sale signs to and from listings. And back then I thought realtors were real estate investors, which some of your audience probably distinguished one from the other over time. But, you know, at an early age, I just wanted to be in the game. So that's what I did. I carried the for sale signs. One thing led to another, I ended up buying a few rental properties on my own. Then I got the attention of a boutique private equity firm out West. So they took me on and from there I went from looking at you know single families and duplexes to hey kid we're buying this 200 unit apartment building hey we're buying this we're buying that and that was before the whole real estate syndication thing was cool so to speak like it is today right back in 
07, 08, no one really, I mean, the people that were in the game were in the game, but it wasn't glorified the way it is today. So, you know, back then, explain to anybody what I was doing, it was, you might as well just tell them you're a real estate broker because they had no idea what you were working on, right? So got into that space and then immediately was hooked. Like when you could take an apartment building from a 10 million to a $20 million valuation over a period of time, when you see that on paper and you finally learn of the business, then you're just like, wow, okay, how many houses would I have to flip? How many individual condos would I have to buy to even match that quantum of results? And from there on in, it was just, you know, hook, line, sinker. I started my first fund. We did an equity fund back in 2011 to 13. The U.S. was still in a really tough, you know, recovery period there. So as if you had cash, you were king. Like if you could close, you could set your own terms as, as you probably remember. So did that. Uh, most recently bought a few assets in Tennessee. Now we have another equity fund we're buying throughout the South, Southeast. I really like Texas right now, obviously, for obvious reasons. You yeah. know, that whole Texas miracle that we all saw back in 08, 10, 11, 12. I mean, you know, that's where I'm seeing things now. So a long story short, I've been in this game for a little bit, been at it since before there was a name for it. And now it's, it's been fun. It's really having fun and giving back and teaching and growing and just having fun with it. That's awesome. Well, take us back to that point in your journey, Marson, when you went from doing your own deals, buying single family rentals to kind of growing and scaling and bringing on investor partners. What did that transition look like for you? How'd you make that switch? Kind of talk about that kind of phase in your investing journey, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> it was rough because <laughs> you go from when you're in a small multifamily with your own money and maybe familiar with everybody else. It's a very simple transaction. But when you get into a much larger deal like a syndication or a fund model, you then have to account for all kinds of documents, regulatory issues. You got to deal with the regulators. You've got tax considerations. You have to learn about things that have very little, if nothing, to do with real estate. And that's where people typically just go, they blow up because they, they mentally, you know, just you can see the meltdown happening in real time because it's no longer a real estate discussion. It's a regulatory discussion. It's a legal securities discussion. It's an audited financials discussion. It's a IFRS versus GAP. There's all these different things that end up coming that have very little, if nothing to do with the original business that you thought you signed up for. So how was that transition? It was rough. <laughs> it was very rough. Lots of sleepless nights, a lot of gray hair, a few unnecessary wrinkles. But, you know, once you go through the eye of the needle, so to speak, and you can step back, you kind of like Neo in the Matrix when you start to see the code in the background, right? It turns into a different game at that point. And, you know, I always say competence creates confidence. And the more competent, the more time you put into something, the more naturally confident you are in your ability to execute that. And that goes the same for anybody working a W-2 job. Your first few months are really bumpy, really shaky. And after a few weeks, a few months, a few years, you can do the job blindfolded, whether it's being an engineer or running a dry cleaner, right? It's just building this business is the same. You just, you got to put in the time. Yeah. Marcin, how were you able to kind of attract and raise that very first private capital? You know, it's kind of like a chicken and the egg first, right? You need that experience to, you know, sell to investors and then, you know, I think a lot of people struggle with that very first capital raise. Talk about, you know, how you handled that and how you were able to leverage maybe your past experience, what your kind of experience looked like at that point. Sure. So there's two answers and neither are right or wrong. I, I think 
depending on where you're at, what stage you'll do, it's a lot easier for you to articulate that. And the biggest, if you're somebody who's had some success, the biggest mistake you typically make is you don't have those conversations with people until you have a deal. And why that's a mistake is because you need to let the market know what you're doing, at least conceptually, so they can get a good portion of the way there to understand why you do what you do so that they can actually make or raise money. And while you're raising money, you're distracted and you're not actually doing what you need to be doing on the due diligence side because you're distracting. You're now trying to raise the cash and kind of do due diligence and you're just, it's this frantic activity and it creates this nervous energy around the whole transaction. And then you're on the phone with investors and you're nervous, you're sweating because you're waiting for the environmental and you've got the sewer line report, pitch them on the deal and you're just like, oh, just like, where do you go with this, right? So a good way to avoid that is once you have your niche figured out in terms of, like, for example, Jacob, if you're buying in Texas and you're buying class B, class C value add, okay, great. What markets are you buying at? Okay, so why do you do what you do? Well, we look for these types of buildings. Broadly speaking, we look for this type of stuff because of these types of outcomes that we think we can create. Okay, great. You can tell that story even when you don't have a deal. Conceptually, you can walk people through first. And once they get comfortable with you, then the next step is, okay, does that deal fit into what this person says they're doing? So if you spend all your time building up your parameters and all of a sudden you come back with a different deal, then you're going to have a tough time with it. So my point is, Jacob, that when you're out raising money, even though you don't have a deal, if you have a concept, you need to talk about that concept all the time. Now, if you're somebody sitting there and you're like, well, you know, Marston, I haven't even done my first deal yet. Okay, well, in my opinion is you shouldn't be raising money for your own deal if you haven't even done a deal yet. That's just yeah. my bias. Not everybody agrees with that. I really don't care. But I personally don't think you should be doing raising money for your first deal if it's in buying. Hey, Marston, let me, uh, let me change my Wi-Fi network really quick, see if that helps. Just one sec, okay? Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, Marson. You know, I totally agree with you that, uh, you know, you should probably be very hesitant about, you know, considering taking on investor capital if you've yet done a deal. I personally go a little one step further and I won't bring on investor capital in a market that I haven't done a deal in just because I want to know that market myself. I want to have it proven in my mind. So I'm looking at a market right now that I've never invested in and I'm going to try to take down the deal by myself for that reason. I don't want to risk my investor capital in a deal, in a market that I'm a little uncertain about. So yeah, I think, you know, everybody to each their own has their own approach, but I, I agree with you and I lean towards your, your philosophy there. Now, when you're talking about when you're first getting started, um, you know, you say, you know, you should kind of be talking to people, talking to your network, uh, you know, before you have that first deal, because once you have that first deal, then your, your hair is on fire, right? And you're wearing 20 different hats <laughs> and capital raising is one of them. Uh, you know, what's that look like to you? Does that mean you're just, you know, having elevator conversations with people, you know, in your network, you know, in your everyday life? Does it mean having a website? Can you, do you have any kind of like systems or any kind of like process for, you know, raising that capital and building that kind of those, that, that process, if you will. Yeah, of course. And, and it, it, there, there's a, there's a lot to it. And I mean, I think the best way to look at this conceptually Jacob, is your, the fundraising activity or the fundraising decision that somebody makes happens well before you actually. Uh, 
in front of them. So in other words, when you meet somebody, I just don't get a good gut response from. So that happens well before you have a transaction. Like if you ever met somebody and you don't even know what they do, but you're like, I want to spend some time with this guy. Or I want to spend some time with this, this woman. Like I want to get to know them, right? Like yeah. you just have this natural curiosity for somebody, right? And I don't mean like they wear red bright pants, you know, to a garden party and you're like, what are they doing? No, I mean like just genuine intrigue in like somebody. Like you could tell like that guy or that girl, you know, they know some stuff. Like I want to get to know them. So the deal and they commoditize themselves through that deal when really most people are the only reason most people would do a private deal versus investing in a well-known public blue chip company is because of the individual typically the deal is yes the deal is important and, and you, you got to do good business but at the end of the day what i'm trying to say is spending time on making yourself relatable is much more valuable than just running around with your hair on fire to the entire network because instead of doing a 70 30 split you're going to offer 80 20 like if that's the differentiator that's going to get you a check you're talking to the wrong people like it, it that shouldn't be the reason why you do get the deal or don't get the deal it's you know all things considered people want to do business with people they like all things not being equal they still want to do business with people they like so if, if that 80, 20 versus 70, 30 split is going to be the reason why you get the deal, that's not the right investor. It's just not the right approach you've taken to the transaction. Now, to give you something tangible, Jacob, I think if, if you're looking at uh, how to engage a conversation, I look at it from a, a broader spectrum and I've got, uh, we do a niche assessment with some of our members and, and, and things like this. And there's a, there's a deeper process here, but the six components of the niche assessment is the first one is, is your story. So in other words, may have nothing to do with real estate, but your story, everybody has a story, things that they've experienced in their lives, things that have made them the people they are, things that demonstrate that you're a good guy, good girl, that you're somebody that can be trusted. Uh, so as an example, or it demonstrates your work ethic. So for example, uh, I was born in a communist country. My grandpa snuck me out in the trunk of his car and we ended up eventually, you know, we ended up in Germany and then eventually came to North America. I didn't see my parents till I was four years old. Wow. And, and there's there's this whole story about, you know, when we came here, you know, dad immediately is pushing a broom within eight hours of landing. My mom's working at a thrift stop store, even though she had a PhD and she's a doctor, a pharmacist. Like, wow. like but, but there's this I have this long story that I can tell you about my life and and the point is we all have our own version of hardships and struggles and things that have forged our character and the reason why I focus on that is because when people meet you they want to know you first so by giving them a story it's not this isn't a narcissistic thing this is this is good conversation you want to be relatable you want to be somebody that people get to know in terms of how you work share a part of your story allow yourself some level of vulnerability so people get to know you because that's how you determine whether you relate to somebody or not and, and that, that that's part one and then that that's the soft stuff that most people don't do the second soft thing is your unfair advantage so in other words what is the one thing that makes you uniquely qualified to do what you're doing so for me i started in private equity and real estate in a really young age so i saw how the whole sausage was made really early and you know i skipped the whole hitting my head on the wall with the with the smaller multifamily i just literally went from houses to big apartment buildings 
just like that. And I've been at it for, for a long time now. And, and so that's, that's my game. That's my unique advantage for somebody else. It might be they're born in a family of realtors and they've been kicking dirt ever since they were six years old. Maybe your grandma was a mortgage broker and she taught you about financing. Maybe your uncle runs a construction company and used to work there every summer. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're an engineer and you had nothing to do with real estate, but you're incredible at process and your best friend would always, you know, like, like you have a, you have a tie into what is afforded you a unique perspective on the business. So between your story and your unfair advantage, those are soft things that have nothing to do with the transaction, but they immediately are number one. It's a good conversation. People are interested naturally. It, it, you're not just pitching a deal. You're not commoditizing yourself. You're just you're just sharing why you do what you do and how you do it. And then, yeah, you've got, you know, the four hard, hard things like, you know, the market you're investing in, the strategy you're pursuing, you know, why you're doing what you're doing and any kind of the outcome you're looking for. But, but, but those are, those, those four things don't matter unless the people buy into you and what uniquely positions you in the business. So I'm answering your question a little bit more broadly, basically from a conversation standpoint, I always start with getting, getting an understanding of who I'm dealing with, sharing my story where it's uh, appropriate. And then maybe, you know, why, how I made the trends, how I ended up doing what I do. And that is more important as a, as a relationship building tool than, Hey, we're buying this 200 unit in X, or we're looking at 100 unit in Y, because that is a byproduct consequence of, hey, you know what, this Jacobs guy, guy is a good guy. I think I can work with him, right? And that's that. that that's how people make decisions. It's not the the deal shouldn't be the reason why somebody wants to talk to you all of a sudden. Otherwise, you're attracting somebody who's basically looking at you as a commodity, and and those are not the kind of investor relationships I build. I think uh, I really like what you said about just kind of having that human element piece, right? Mar Marson is like, you know, you have to be relatable to somebody. They have to know that you're a, a person just like them and, you know, have had your own struggles and your own journey. And, uh, you know, we do business and we hang around people who we know, like, and trust. And to share your journey and put, you know, some level of vulnerability out there, I think is really important. And I think I understand that and most people do just intuitively, but maybe don't do it as well as we probably should be doing. So I think that's a really key lesson that I'm taking out of what you just said. So really important stuff there. And like you said, you know, the the bricks and the, the boards and everything, that's all pretty commoditized stuff. Like, yeah, you're buying a 200 unit in Atlanta or Austin because it's, you know, got this value add opportunity. Like everybody does that. So the differentiator is, you know, really being that that kind of human element, that person of interest, if you will. Another thing I like what you said way earlier in the conversation is confidence comes from competence. So being that person to able to attract other people, well, you've got to have the confidence to do that. And that comes from just, you know, putting miles behind the screen or the dashboard or whatever your approach is to investing. So really key lessons there. I like what you said. Yeah. And it, it's, you need to look at this business as you know, there's an old Beatles song, you know, we're here for a good time, not a long time, right? So <laughs> this business is all about you need to be here for a long time because you're not you're not selling a car or a house or an air conditioner. You're you're and, and you are in sales. If you're raising money, you are uh, don't don't try to call it anything other than what it is. It's sales. Fundraising is sales. And when you're raising money, you are now committing somebody to a three, five, 10 year relationship with you that, you know, in exchange, initially they give you their money and you give them a piece of paper saying that they own 
a piece of a building or a piece of a fund with buildings wherever in the US or wherever in the world. Like if you can wrap your head around that exchange where it's you're you're not giving them a tangible thing. Like, yeah, you can take them to the property, but they can't live there. They can't eat there. They it's not there. It's theirs as an owner, but it's not like if you buy a million dollar house, you can go live in it. You buy a fifty thousand dollar car, you can drive it. You're not buying anything that you can use day to day, so to speak. So they're really looking at Jacob Marson. Where it is that that person? Are they going to stick with this thing? That's the other thing. Consistency. It's the key to this entire business. You can't just. We all have that friend that jumps around from career to career, business to business, and sometimes yes. they pitch us whatever it is that they're doing, and we're just like. You know, you may not say it, but in the back of your head, you're like, okay, let's see if you stick with this thing for another six months or a year before I buy whatever product from you. Because if I get stuck with this crap and you're no longer doing it, what am I supposed to do with it? Yeah. Right. So people have all these thoughts going through their heads about, can I invest with this person? And the consistency is key. So another thing to answer your question, Andrew, everybody that is building a professional real estate investing business needs to have a newsletter needs to have a communication piece that goes out to your network. And if you're sitting there, you're like, oh, Marcin, well, I only have like seven people in my network. Cool. Your newsletter goes out to seven people. And if three of them are your family, God bless. It doesn't matter. The point is <laughs> you've got to get into the habit of treating this like a business. It is a business. This is, it's not a leisurely activity. This isn't a part-time thing that you just stumble upon once in a while. It is either your priority or it's not. And if it's not your priority, your potential investors will see that. And if they don't see you taking it seriously, they're not going to take it seriously. And now, and if, I'm, if you're sitting there and you're like, okay, Marson, but I love being a dentist. I love being you know, a business owner. I love doing what I'm doing, but I like the real estate thing too. Okay, great. That's why you know billions and billions of dollars are invested passively in real estate. Because if you don't want to commit to these things, that's why you work with somebody who treats it like a profession because it's their business. It's their world. It's, you know, I have people sometimes say, well, you know, I want to invest in real estate. I, I want to be, I want to be a real estate investor. My question is, okay, do you really want to be a professional real estate investor or do you just want to invest in real estate? Yes. There's a difference and, there. And they're like, well, what's the difference? I go about 40 hours a week, <laughs> <At least. laughs> about 40 to 60 hours a week, depending on who you ask. Right. So and that distinction is, do you want to be invested in real estate or do you want to be a real estate investor is a massive one. A lot of people with W-2s, they, they like real estate, but maybe they like their W-2. Maybe they like what they're doing. Maybe they make great money and that's what they want to keep doing. Well, that's fantastic. Then you want to be invested in real estate. Then it's a function of, okay, can I work with Jacob? Can I work with Marcy? Can I work with these people? Do they embody the values that I embody? Are they looking at things the way I look at them? You know what the definition of intelligence is, right? If you uh, agree with me, I consider you intelligent. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds right. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the right uh, definition. Yes. Yeah, like that's the definition of intelligence. If you agree with me, you're obviously intelligent. And my point is, if you're a W-2 and you're looking for intelligent people, find people that think in, in a manner that's consistent with yours. You're looking for people that embody the way you look at the world. You're voting with your dollars is really what it is. Yeah, no, I love that. Well, Marcin, what advice would you have for somebody who's maybe trying to make that transition from, you know, buying the small single families or duplexes to becoming a real estate investor and not investing in real estate? Say that person's wanting to become, you know, a full-time real estate investor, make a business out of it. 
back when you were at your point in that similar journey, like what advice looking back would you have to somebody making that transition? Some of the best advice that I could give my younger self in that context is to invest more energy and time sharpen action. So was it Abraham Lincoln got asked if he had uh, four hours to cut down a tree, how would he do it? He said he'd spend three hours sharpening his axe. Yes. You know, and, and that's really the truth of it. I mean, I'm a little older, a little grayer now and a little bit of, you know, wrinkles. And I think to myself, man, if I just took a minute in my 20s and rather than just go, 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 we'll figure it out. If I just took a minute to just sit back and go, okay, what am I missing? Who do I know? How do I get support? Rather than just trying to plow through everything, if I actually took a step back more often, I would have done more. I would have got more results with less energy expended. And I think that's just a sign of age, maturity in, in general. And some of your older viewers, listeners will probably already be like, yeah, of course. Uh, but, for <laughs> me in my early, but for me in my early 20s, you can tell me anything. I had to go experience everything myself. So anyways, long story short, the best advice I'd give somebody is get mentorship, get support. You could either pay for it. You could either partner with it. You could either learn from it online. There's people you can follow. You pay attention to their journeys, but you don't need to reinvent the wheel. I call it R&D and it's not research and development. It's rob and duplicate. Like literally, <laughs> look, at, look at what other people that are further down the path are doing and then emulate their certain things that you like about it. Just feel free to R&D. That's really the best way to do it. And sometimes the most efficient way to do that is to work right with them, either in a mentorship capacity or coaching capacity, or sometimes just admiring at a distance and paying attention is enough too. I do a lot of R&D in my own life, Marcin. <laughs> yeah. yeah, me too. <laughs> well, that's great. Marcin, hey, it's been a fun conversation. You know, I want to start wrapping up here. We have a famous lightning round. I say famous, like people talk about it behind my back. Probably not, but I'm going to continue calling it a famous lightning round. Uh, just a quick series of questions we'll fire at you. You up for it? Let's do it. All right, cool. The yeah, first question is, what was your biggest hurdle getting started investing in real estate? And then what did you do to overcome that? Biggest hurdle, time and time again, as you level up, will be your credibility. And that's true whether you're trying to buy your first house, your first rental property, your first apartment building, your first large apartment building. Every time you want to level up, your credibility will be called into question. Full stop. Whether you're dealing with a mortgage broker for the first time to buy a house, whether you're trying to convince somebody to let you co-GP on a transaction, trying to set up your first fund, your credibility will be tested time and time again. I don't know what kind of wording I should be using your podcast. And just to get in on the first rental property, I did the crap work. So I carried the first sale assignments. Whether it was getting into a first multifamily deal, I did the crap work. Whether it was first syndication, I did the crap work. I always offer to do the least desirable work at the next level because that's what allowed me to be in that room every time. Really good advice there. I like that. Do the crap work. Yeah. <laughs> Marson, do you have a personal habit that contributes to your success? Yes. I get up at five in the morning. I take a few minutes to meditate and reflect. Then I just work out. Yeah. Powerful. I love it. Do you have an online resource you find valuable in your day-to-day? That's my habit, no matter where I am. You know, this is going to sound, what's that one where you have Google's, where you type in keywords and it sends you emails? I forgot what it's called. Oh yeah, I know uh, what you're talking about. Um, like, it's not a Google search, but there's a resource where basically you tell Google what words, every time an article pops up, mm -hmm. I ask it to send me those articles weekly. So for example, if you want to learn 
um, you know, happens with that person, you get a notification, whether daily or weekly or whatever you want. That's my favorite resource because it sends me, it curates, it scours the internet exactly for what I want to pay attention to. Yeah, no, I like that. I do that a lot with uh, Oklahoma real estate. I've got one of those searches set up and uh, every week just kind of see what was new there. So really cool idea. Marcin, what book would you recommend to the listeners and why? Mm. So my favorite book, I'd have to say consistently is The Obstacle is the Way by a guy named Ryan Holiday. It's a fantastic book. It's rooted in a philosophy called Stoicism. And the subtext of the book is what is in the way becomes the way. So it's a great book for mindset and forging that unshakable mentality where you're in control of your own life. And that's such an important message today and goes, it extends well beyond real estate because there's so many things out there that make us feel like, you know, we're really not in control of our life. And you can turn the news on for five minutes, your anxiety level can literally hit 100 instantly. And you can just talk to your friends about what's wrong and everything like this. And I mean, stoicism, it's rooted in essentially as you're the captain of your own ship and it, nothing happens to you, everything happens for you. So I'll give you a quick story, Jacob. My, for, he's a master mechanic. He runs a high-end uh, auto shop in the GTA uh, Canada here in Toronto. And he has customers sometimes with really high-end cars. And sometimes they have a little bit of a tantrum because they don't like what it costs to replace the brakes on a high-end Porsche or whatever it is. And I remember one time as a kid at my dad's shop, customer comes in, he goes, I have a problem with you. And dad looks at him and goes, okay, I understand. What would you like me to do about the problem you have? Good question. <laughs> you have a problem. How can I help you with your problem? Sure. It's your problem. How can I help you with your problem? Yeah. Right? It's not about and me. That, here. This is it, your problem. It's nothing to do with me. You have a problem. I understand. How can I help you with your problem? And that's the whole stoicism thing, right? It's like you just, you live your life. And as long as you're clear on where you're going and, you know, being a good man or a good woman and good person and, you know, you're conducting yourself as best as you can with what you have and you're not taking on other people's baggage. I think that's a big lesson today. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that's The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. That's a great book. His other books, I think Discipline is Key and a few others. They're all great books. He just came out with another one I'm excited to get my hands on. So yeah, definitely mm -hmm. like all of Ryan Holiday's books. Fellow uh, Austonian slash Texan with us now. So uh, right. great stuff. Marcin, last question in the lightning round. If you're to go back and give advice to your 20-year-old self to get started investing in real estate, what would you tell 20-year-old Marcin? <laughs> I'd tell her it's not a destination. I can't tell you how many times along the way in my 20s, you'd have some success. And as soon as you reach that success, I'd immediately go, yeah, yeah, okay. But now when I do this, I'll be happy. And then you do that. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But now when I do this, I'll be happy. And you're never in a state of being appreciative or thankful for where you're at. You're just constantly tying your mental state to some future outcome that you may or may not have control over. For me, in my 20s, it caused unnecessary. The other thing is when things work out, remember, you're never as smart as you think you are. And when things go to hell in a handbasket, you're never as dumb as you feel. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, it's not always what you've done. You only control so much. So those yeah. are probably the two things I'd say. Very stoic answer leading off the back of uh, the book recommendation. So I like that. Yeah. 
Marcin, hey, it's been a lot of fun talking with you. I really think you're a person of interest and you're somebody that's out there doing things that I'm interested in. And, you know, looking at the things you do, I find really cool. You are no stranger to putting yourself out there. You've got a YouTube channel, you've done podcasting, you've done a lot of video content. You also have your M1 Real Capital brand. Tell us about what you do in your business and where people can find more about how to reach out and connect with you. Sure. Yeah. Thank you. You know, and prior to COVID, I was kind of really stayed away from the internet social personality thing, to be frank. It, it been in this business for quite a while, but you know, if some of your listeners have heard of me before, it's probably stuff going on and it's, you know, smaller, mid-sized buildings. I say smaller, you know, hundred to 200 units and we're, you know, that's our day to day. And then we also have a membership base through M1 where because of the background and technical knowledge I have on the capital market side, there's a lot of students that come to us that either want to learn how to transition to multifamily or have multifamily, but want to scale. So if they're looking to be able to raise additional equity, build out their database, grow their network, their influence, uh, that's some success with. So there's tons of free resources on my website, uh, marcindros.com. And yeah, there's tons of ways for people to engage if they want. Yeah, I love that. That's marcindros.com or m1realcapital.com. Both are great websites. I surfed around on them this morning. Lots of good content there from your videos to podcasts to resources, articles, all great stuff. Where's the best place for people to reach out to you on social media? Are you active there now? Or um, you know, is it Instagram? Is it Facebook? Is it your website? Where's the best place for people to kind of get a daily dose of Marson? Yeah, we got me on the... <laughs> uh, the Insta, those are both really good resources. Great, great. Well, awesome. Marson, hey, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Real estate investor, managing partner of M1 Real Capital, an all-around great guy, Marson Drost. Thanks so much. Look forward to having you back on in the future. Thank you, sir. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you very much, man. Have a good one. Bye. That wraps up this week's episode with our guest, Marcin Drozd. Hey, what an awesome conversation. I hope you got so much value from that. If you like that and want to hear more, you can reach out to Marcin at the details in the show notes, as always. For more information, resources, and to connect with me, you can do so at www.jacobairs.com. Until next week, engineer the lifestyle you want. You've been listening to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, providing you actionable content to build your real estate empire. Nothing on this show should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for personal advice. The opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have a potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom, LLC, exclusively.